As uh, you sit down, here I come. And as I get up here, kids, you're dismissed. K through five, if you're a, uh, one of our kids, K through five, you are dismissed to go to the back corner over there. Over there. This is useful for pointing. You can meet over there and uh, have a great morning as you learn about Jesus. Some of you are chuckling and you know what I'm up to. Some of you are going, what is that guy doing with a cane in his hand? Well, let me catch you up in case you missed it. Um, Last Sunday uh, was Pastor Ed's last Sunday, our longtime associate pastor, retired officially. And so last Sunday, uh, we got to celebrate and honor he and Connie for 38 years of ministry to our church family. Uh, And so it was a great Sunday. And uh, after our worship gathering last Sunday, we went over to the uh, community center for lunch and some more celebration. And while we were there, uh, Pastor Ed took the opportunity to get a lot of fancy language going and talk about how he had something important to do officially and ceremonially to pass the torch, to hand off a title that had been his, that he now wanted to make sure I knew was now my title. And so with great flourish and fancy words, uh, Pastor Ed said that, congratulations to me, I am now the old man on our staff. (laughs) So he gave me that. So I thought I needed to come up here with it this morning. I don't, I, but we had a lot of fun, and, uh, and um, you know, I got here this morning, and, and Pastor Ed's office was empty the last few days. And uh, so, Pastor Ed, if you see this, and Connie, you're loved and missed, and at the same time, we're really excited for them, and, uh, and glad for what God has next for them. So, I don't really feel like the old man on our staff, uh, but I am old enough to have a daughter who's turning 19 today, so happy birthday, Kaylin. <laughs> I'm probably in trouble now. Stop looking over there. Look over here, right here. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Uh, My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, before we jump into God's word, before we get to the message for today, uh, I do have a bit of housekeeping. Um, First of all, isn't it good to be together on Sundays? Isn't Isn't it an important part of your rhythm? It's just an hour, hour and a half, but it's significant in the life of God's people, isn't it? We want to be together and looking to Jesus together on Sunday mornings, but certainly not just on Sunday mornings. We need Sunday mornings gathered together, exalting Jesus together, encouraging one another to to really to strengthen and encourage us so that we can live for Jesus Monday through Saturday. Amen? Everybody with me? Everybody awake and ready to track this morning? It's important that we gather together on Sundays, but there's, uh, you know, much more than our worship gathering on Sunday morning. And so we want you to be aware, this is the bit of housekeeping I have for you, is that we want you to be aware of all that God is doing in and through our church family. I want you to know that we as leaders around here value good communication. We want you to know what God is up to, the ways that you can participate, the ways that we can support you all that he is doing in and through our church family. And so we want to communicate well, and that's a value of ours. And so good communication is on our part. We we need to offer the good communication. And and I think good communication is a two-way street, though. We need your help in receiving the information. Are you with me? So on your way, are you with me? On the way in, good communication is given and received, right? So on the way in, you got an info sheet in your hand. If you didn't, you can grab one on the way out. 
Don't just think, hey, that's the same thing every week. Grab one and look it over or take it home and look it over. It's an effort to communicate with you. Uh, we send out weekly emails. Don't just delete it and think it's the same as it always is. That's an effort of ours to communicate with you. If you don't get those emails, let the church office know so that we can get you on those emails. And then if you're an auditory learner and you would like to hear some of these updates about what God is doing in and through our church family verbally, if you would like to hear those through your ears on Sunday morning, you can be here at 10.15 a.m. when the worship gathering starts. And uh, those of us who are at, at, here at 10.15 this morning heard from Pastor Jake some important updates and things we want you to know. So I uh, encourage you that those are at least three of the ways that we're trying to communicate well and want to uh, encourage you to help us out by receiving that information. Sound good? So if you like to hear it verbally, you'll just need to, you know, leave the house a few minutes earlier, grab your coffee out in the lobby just a few minutes earlier, and then be in your seat just a few minutes earlier. <laughs> Notice my smile. <laughs> I love you all. Okay. All right, now, now we'll move on with uh, what I'm supposed to be doing up here, and that is um, getting us into God's Word. So here's a phrase that I've been hearing more and more of lately. Um, we'll put it on the screen. Have you heard this phrase that I'll use lately? Bet on yourself. And I'm not going to totally dismiss this phrase. I know that there's ways in which it can be used in a positive sense. But I feel like, and maybe it's because I'm a big sports fan, so I'm tracking different sports people and things like that. And that's where I, one of the places I hear this kind of comment. But perhaps we hear it elsewhere uh, in circles around us. Bet on yourself. And I'm sure there's some true and good and positive things that come as a result of that, right? I mean, it's important to have self-confidence, to be a strong, and to, you know, there's times when we are to assert ourselves, or uh, we don't want to let others' impressions of us uh, tell us what we can and can't do. I mean, I, I understand where they're probably coming from using this phrase, bet on yourself. But I also have a question mark that comes up in my mind. I also have an, an eyebrow raised, so to speak, that just says, really? Bet on yourself? Is that, is that my best shot? Is that your best shot? Um, I watched a, a sermon of a mentor of mine this week. I was catching up on things and watched a sermon online uh, of one of my mentors. And uh, I, this is not a direct quote, but he, he said something along the lines of, that, that if, as long as we think we're okay, as long as we think we can manage life, get through, that things are okay, that I don't have a need, as long as that's the true, if we're, if we're just kind of up for it, if life's good enough and we can manage, then, then we're going to be missing out. That we're going to keep going our own way and, and miss out an opportunity to see our limitations, and our need for God. So I watched that sermon, and that got me thinking. And then, the other thing that happened in the last few days or week or so is, I experienced life. Anybody else experienced life this week? Anybody else's life includes some cool highs this week? Anybody? I did. Anybody is, we had some really exciting things. Anybody's life includes some really significant lows? Ours did. And so, so I had this mentor's thing in my mind about, you know, if we just can manage, if we're okay, 
then we're going to miss out on what God has for us. And then life is happening, and there's no doubt about it that things are hard. And, and, and the things in our, around us and the way things are are not the way God intended. And so I think a question before us this morning is, what do we do with that? How, how do we react when things don't go our way? How might God want to use that, those situations? How might God want to work in our lives through that? And I hope, I, and I sincerely hope, church family, that you're doing well this morning. And, and many of you perhaps are, as, as, you, as you arrived, as you sat down, as you're, as you're looking at me now. I hope and pray that many of you are doing well. But I also know about life. And I also know about a, a significant number of you, specifically. And I also know that our leaders around here have spent recent days praying and lifting you up and people around you up and lifting each other up in prayer for things like illness, surgeries, marriage strain, parenting challenges, death, relationships that are difficult, financial pressure, and, and whatever it is, fill in the blank for you if there's been a difficulty in recent days. Things that cause us deep pain, things that cause us to feel exhausted, things that might even cause us to despair and ask, where is God, and what's he up to, and what's all this about? In those times, do we sense our limits? In those times, do you come face to face with your limitations, with your inability to manage life on your own? Do we go through all this? Do we encounter the highs and lows? Do we take life head on and bet on ourselves? Or do we need to come to the end of ourselves? And in coming to the end of ourselves, recognize our need for God and our need for his grace to carry us through. Because I think if we come to the end of ourselves, and recognize our need, then we have an opportunity to lean into God when things are difficult instead of pushing him away. We have an opportunity to learn that in all of it, in all of it, God is with us, that he knows, that he deeply loves you. And no matter what it is that we're encountering, we have an opportunity to submit to Jesus as king of our life, instead of trying to manage our own. And then, and now, in a minute, when we open God's word to the text of scripture that God has for us this morning, because we're teaching passage by passage through his word, now, when we get to this passage in just a minute, you're going to find that it talks about our need to obey God's laws. 
Take, take emotional inventory real quick. When I say there's a lot that God commands that we are to do, that God's laws are to be obeyed, take a quick emotional inventory. Anybody just get a little bit of a weight there? Is that our reaction to knowing that God has good things intended for us to obey? Is it heavy? Is it, is, it, is it a burden? Is it feeling expectations that we can't live up to? Or, here's what I'm going to suggest, what if, as we get into God's word this morning, it's a helpful part about how God wants to work in our lives? What, about, what if his laws, his commands, his desire for our obedience leads us somewhere really, really, really good? Grab your Bible. Open to Matthew chapter 5 if you haven't already. As you know, we love you to bring your Bible along or your Bible app on a device that you carry and open to Matthew chapter 5 so that you can see where we are learning from this morning is directly from the Word of God in the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 5, and in just a moment, I will be reading starting at verse 17. This section of scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we often refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a section of Jesus' teaching, a very significant portion of Jesus' teaching that we sometimes call the Sermon on the Mount. And we're only uh, three, this is, I think, this, this is the third message in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be sitting here and going passage by passage through God's word uh, for the weeks ahead. So in a moment, I'll start reading at verse 17, Matthew 5, verse 17, but quick recap. What's the context here? What's the important context before we start in verse 17? Well, the beginning, the whole beginning of the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, is a, is a genealogy, and the purpose of the genealogy is to show that Jesus is the promised rescuer, that he is the king and the king to come. And the very end of the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to whom? To Jesus. So the book of Matthew begins with a proclamation that Jesus is king, the promised Messiah. And the book of Matthew ends with with, with, with God's word telling us that all authority has been given to Jesus. Those are the bookends of Matthew. Now if we look at the bookends of the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount has Jesus go up a mountain, which is significant, which symbol, symbolic of something significant about to happen, his teaching, and he sat down to teach, which was significant of the posture of authority of a teacher. So that's a bookend of the Sermon on the Mount. Then the Sermon on the Mount ends, chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, with the crowds who have been listening to Jesus' teaching astonished. They've, they've absorbed the Sermon on the Mount. They've heard his teaching, and the, the, the bookend end of the Sermon on the Mount has the crowds astonished. Why? Because he spoke as someone with authority. The bookends of the book of Matthew are that Jesus is king and has authority over all. The bookends of the Sermon on the Mount tell us that Jesus is king and has authority over all. So church family, are we ready to listen and obey? The bookends Tell us that Jesus is king, king of God's people, king of the universe. Is he king of your life? Sundays and Monday through Saturday. 
Let's read the passage of scripture that we'll be taking a look at this morning. I'll read the four verses with you, and then we'll go back through them. Just take a closer look. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. Jesus speaking. Do you think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets? He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of God's people at the day, the religious leaders of the time. For I tell you, Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Father in heaven, as always, we need you as we come to your word. Help us to to hear from you, not to impose on the text our own uh, confusion or our own perceptions, but God, by your Holy Spirit at work in our lives, may you open our hearts and minds to hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in a series of messages called Kingdom Life, and I already mentioned that this, this series, Kingdom Life, is teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and the sermon we've already covered, that the Sermon on the Mount proclaims that Jesus is king. And so we are asking ourselves as a church family, how do we live kingdom lives? If Jesus is king, if his kingdom is at hand, which it is, and if his kingdom is unfolding, which it is, and if his kingdom will be fully realized in the future when he returns, and it will be, anybody? If Jesus is king and all of that is true, how do we live kingdom lives? How do we live as people of his kingdom? That's what we're asking God to show us as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've said in recent weeks that if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's, it's, life as status quo is over. There's no such thing in following Jesus as putting your trust in him, coming to the end of ourselves, realizing we need Jesus, putting our trust in him, being saved from sin and death, being forgiven of our sin, being given new life, and then my life just continues as before. There's no such thing. It's not, not even possible. In, in Christ, if we are in Jesus, our life can't be status quo where after being saved, nothing ever changes. The gospel, good news of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection changes everything. The gospel, good news of life in his kingdom changes everything about the way we live, our words, our actions, our hearts, our minds, our attitudes. He is making us new. He is transforming us to be more and more like him. There is no such thing as status quo being saved and then nothing changes. When you put your trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, that transformation begins and we begin to be changed. Kingdom life, then, is learning to radically submit our life in every area to Jesus as king. 
to learning to live for Jesus in all we do or say. And the Sermon on the Mount is challenging. Some of the topics we're going to get to, I'll mention those soon here, some of the topics we'll get to in the next few weeks are difficult, but very practical in our lives. Things that we deal with, very practical. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is definitely raising the bar. Jesus teaches that this is what obedience looks like, and if he's teaching it, he expects obedience. But here's the good news. Church family, don't miss this part. He's teaching it. He expects it. And right along with that, Jesus enables us to obey, empowers us by his spirit, and makes it possible to live out the ways of Jesus. So we want to know what the word of God says. We want to know what we're called to do. We want to know God's laws, his commands. We want to know that Jesus later in the Sermon on the Mount says that we are to be perfect as he is perfect. Whoa, wait, that sounds heavy, but no, he's with us, enabling and empowering us to live for him. So that's the series, Kingdom Life. What does it look like to live out a kingdom life as people in, in Jesus' kingdom? So let's look again at verse 17. Verse 17, Jesus speaking, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The phrase, the law and the prophets, is, is, is a phrase to encompass the Old Testament scriptures. The earlier part of your Bible, the part that was already scriptures before Jesus came to live on earth. And he's saying... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Why, why might we relate to that? Here's why I think we might relate to that, wondering, oh, you know, so much for the Old Testament. Jesus is here. We might relate to this. We might think, well, Jesus is here. Jesus is love. Jesus is kindness. Jesus is caring for other people. Jesus means grace. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. But we be careful not to mistakenly go, yes, we know that about Jesus. And so, whoop, there goes the Old Testament. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the Old Testament. And he goes on, I have not come to abolish them, those laws, those commands of God, but to fulfill them. See, as we study our Bibles... Old Testament and New, followers of Jesus, important to hear from God through the whole counsel of God's word, Old Testament and New. As we study our New Testament, we see that the New Testament uh, interprets the Old Testament as being all about Jesus. We don't think of it that way. We think Jesus only comes in the late part of the book, in the New Testament. Whoa, there was a lot of stuff going on in the Old Testament, a lot of rules, a lot of God, a lot of him being mad, a lot of really difficult stuff. Oh, I like this when Jesus comes. Everything's better now. Church family, Jesus is there the whole time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is present in Genesis 1.1. And the entirety, the New Testament tells us that the entirety of the Old Testament points to Jesus. We may not see his name. We may not know, understand all the implications in our Old Testament about how it explains Jesus, but Jesus is telling us now, the Old Testament is fulfilled in me, Jesus says. Everything the Old Testament says, teaches, does, points to, it's all coming true in me, Jesus says. What do we mean by that? Well, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures in lots of ways. All of the predictions in the Old Testament about the coming rescuer fulfilled in Jesus. 
Uh, all of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, all the needing to sacrifice animals to, uh, to seek forgiveness from God, all of the sacrificial system of needing there to be bloodshed to seek God's favor, that is all f- pointing to and fulfilled in who? Say it like you mean it. Jesus, the sacrifice the New Testament tells us the once for all sacrifice. In the Old Testament, it was sacrifice, I sin, I got to sacrifice again, I sin, I got to sacrifice again. And then Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. He says, that part of the Old Testament is fulfilled in me. Jesus also fulfilled the law of God because he was the only one to obey the law perfectly. So as we go through our Old Testament and we see all that is important to God and all that he commands and all the ways that he wants us to live for holiness and for obedience to him and to glorify him, the only one ever to perfectly live out the law was, and he says, I didn't come to get rid of the law, I came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled the law, here's the good one, listen to this one. He fulfilled the law in us, in you and I, by means of the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. For those that call on Jesus, we have Jesus in our lives, the Holy Spirit of God living within us, enabling us and empowering us to fulfill the law. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the the law, I came to fulfill it. Church family, don't bet on yourself. Put your trust in Jesus alone. Jesus, um, Jesus' words here in Matthew 5 then show us that Jesus doesn't see his life and ministry in opposition with the Old Testament. We might be confused and be like, ah, oh, that old stuff seems to not matter anymore. It's all about Jesus. We might be confused under sometimes, and we might misunderstand sometimes, but when Jesus showed up, his life and ministry and his teaching, he says, It's not me against the Old Testament. He doesn't see his life in opposition with the Old Testament. He sees himself as bringing everything that God has been teaching to fruition. He he sees himself as bringing it all to to more meaning, more significance. He's interpreting the Old Testament for us so that we can understand the Old Testament properly. That's what Jesus is doing. He is the fulfillment. Let's keep going. Verse 18. For truly, Jesus says, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I, I, uh, mm. Quick side note, when he says not an iota, not a dot, literally what the scripture is referring to right there is that in, in the Hebrew language, there's these little, little accent marks, like almost like, a, like an apostrophe. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, Not even one of those, not even one of those little marks from the whole Old Testament will 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 go will uh, not 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 one of those will pass away from the law until it's all accomplished. So so here's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is giving us his high view of Scripture. Jesus is saying, "Let me tell you what I think of the Old Testament. It's significant. God has stuff for us." God's teaching us. It's still applicable. It's still important. So Jesus is giving giving us his high view of the Old Testament scripture. He's not abolishing 
the Old Testament. He's saying this is significant and meaningful and unchanging uh, revelation from God. There is a continuity. It's not out with the old and with the new. It's there's a continuity. What the Old Testament was trying to get for righteousness in us, what, what the Old Testament was pointing towards in terms of what righteous, holy, obedient living looks like, that isn't just out the window. It's continued on in the life of Jesus. Jesus fulfills that, but, but even better. I mean, there is this continuity from what the Old Testament is calling for to Christ's righteous living. But check this out. Christ's righteous living, it, when we look at his holy and perfect life, that he was able to live out all the scriptures, when we look at that about Jesus, it's um, his righteous lifestyle, his holy and perfect right lifestyle is, is not radical because it's somehow new and totally different than the Old Testament. It's radical because he was able to do it. Because he actually lived it out. Because he actually followed through on God's best. Are you with me on how radical that is? His holy perfection is radical because he was able to do it. The only one ever. Fully God and fully human. Jesus, the Son of God, our promised rescuer, fulfilling the law. The Old Testament, therefore, what do we get out of that? The Old Testament is still important for us too. Yes, we no longer live under the Old Testament law. We now live under grace because Jesus has come and he gives us salvation through grace. But even, even as we live under grace and not law, the Old Testament's important because what do we see in the Old Testament? What do we get out of the Old Testament? What we see in God's law is we see what God demands, what, what glorifies him. We look to our, the laws of God in the Old Testament, and it helps us to know his best for our lives. To know to hear from him about how do we live as human beings in 2022? How do I follow Jesus? How do I glorify God in my life? There's so much that God's word in the Old Testament has to say to us about right living and ways to glorify God and what God demands. And think about this now. If we hold, hold up God's word to ourselves, kind of as a mirror, if we look at ourselves through the counsel of God, through his written word, it's through the law, it's through his commands that we see his standards. And if we see his standards, what I see is how I fall short. We see the law of God as his standards, his best, his desire for us to obey. And as we hold his word up to us like a mirror, it shows me I can't do it on my own. There's nothing, there's no work I can do, no way I can clean up my behavior, no way I can try hard, no, no way I can do religious checklists of things I think I ought to be doing, I think that Christians do, and maybe somehow God will love me more. No! We hold up the law as a mirror to ourselves that shows us our need, our need for God and our need for grace. So why was I talking about life difficulties a few minutes ago? How was your week, your ups and downs? 
What difficulty things of you're facing? What are we praying for, for others in our church family? Why did I mention that? Well, I think our pain, I think our trials, I think our suffering should force us to the feet of Jesus. I think our difficulties, our pain, our trials should cause us to lean into God, not push him away. I think our pain, our suffering, our trials, our difficulties on this side of eternity show us our need for him. And likewise, when we look at the laws of God, when we hear about all of his commands and all of his best, church family, God's laws are not some pointless burden the heavy weight of expectations that I can't... God's laws are, are not pointless burden. May his commands lead us to recognize how much we need him and how the only way to fulfill the law is to be in Christ because Christ is the fulfillment of the law, the only one who's able to live up to those standards. Instead of betting on self, trust in Jesus. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to let go of some of these commandments, to relax these commandments, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. No, notice they're still in the kingdom of heaven. But... Whoever does, does these commands, who obeys God's laws and teaches them to others will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting in that verse to see that keeping God's laws matter. That they make a difference in our eternal reward. Notice that the, notice that the ones who relax the laws are still in the kingdom of heaven, but the ones that that by the grace of God, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus working in them, are able to live out his ways and obey and teach others to obey, are called great in the kingdom of heaven. They're in the kingdom of heaven, but there's somehow more reward, more, more heavenly reward, more spiritual reward. So look at, the, look at verse 19 again. Think of the significance of knowing our scriptures and knowing the commands of God. It's not about picking and choosing the ones we like. It's not about obeying the ones we can, can obey easily and ignoring the rest. It's, it's not about applying God's laws as what's our preferences, what's convenient to, to obey God, what's, you know, what, what are we comfortable with. It's no, it's, it's going to the scriptures with a heart for what does God want What's his best? What is he teaching? What is he asking of me? And by the grace of God, by the Spirit working within me, learning and caring about what God cares about. Learning to do and obey what God cares about. Is, are God's laws um, unfair expectations on us? Or... Or do they help us? Do they help us see our need? See our need for God. See our need for God's grace. Um, 
So as the Sermon on the Mount continues, as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount in the following weeks here, uh, Jesus not only keeps referring to the Old Testament, but he really draws out the significance. We're going to come to these topics in coming weeks. We're going to talk, uh, Jesus is going to address the topics of lust, anger, divorce, retaliation, loving your enemies, and he's going to refer to the Old Testament. But even more than referring to the Old Testament, he's going to fulfill God's laws. He's going to supersede God's laws. He's going to say, you've heard it this way, but there may be some misinterpretation out there of what God's Old Testament law meant. So Jesus says, I'm going to show you the heart of it. In these important practical areas of life, lust and anger and divorce and retaliation, and loving our enemies, things that we struggle with, practical things that we need help with, Jesus absolutely refers to God's good plan in the Old Testament and then says, let me, let me expound on that for you. Let me fulfill that for you. Let me show you God's heart for why it says those things. That's what's coming up in the next few weeks. Here's our last verse to look at together today. Verse 20. Jesus still speaking. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This would have been shocking to the ears of those that heard this when Jesus spoke it. And one of the reasons it would have been shocking is that the Pharisees were looked up to as as these religious people. It, It seemed like the Pharisees were really good at being obedient. It seemed like the Pharisees were really good rule followers. So good that not only did they strive to to obey God's laws in the Old Testament, but they had added a bunch of rules to it and they tried to obey those too. And so, so here's the Pharisees, these religious leaders of the time that are significantly religious and rule following and, and often very successful in being rule followers. And Jesus says, Unless your righteousness, unless your holy living exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. But here's the deal with the Pharisees. Their righteousness was often external only. Religious appearances. God wants to know what's going on in here. The Pharisees worked really hard to look good, to look obedient, to appear better than everybody. But, there was, but later Jesus accuses them really of, of masking the darkness and the pain and the inability going on in the heart. God's after our hearts. God's after our heart change. He's not after us being religious and checking the boxes and saying we followed the rules. He's not interested in just us cleaning up our behavior so that our church family thinks that we're pretty Christian pretty Christian y, speaking Christianese, doing the things. God's not interested in us cleaning up just our external behavior, but he's interested in getting to the heart. What's underneath that word that just came out of my mouth? What's underneath that bitter angerness that I just felt when someone spoke some, a certain way to me? 
I'm not, not just masking that I do that, doing the work by God's grace to know what was behind that. What sin issue? What misunderstanding of who God is? What's, what's broken that needs healing and cleaning and restoration? That's what God wants to do in our life. So how will our so how will our righteousness as a follower of Jesus 2022 you love Jesus you're a follower of Jesus Jesus has entered your life the holy spirit is enabling in you empowering you to live for him how will our righteousness exceed that of the pharisees it won't it won't on your own but Jesus said it needs to But Jesus says in verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of God. Church family, how is my righteousness, how is your righteousness going to exceed that of the Pharisees? In Jesus it will. Not on our own. Not striving, not trying, not trying to get our act together. By being in Christ. By submitting to him. By him being Lord and Master, not just once back when I first became a Christian, but by submitting to him as Lord and Master of, the, of my life every day and every moment, and not just in the areas that it's comfortable to give over control to God, but in every area of life, not just in my external things for him to clean up, but for the darkness in my heart for him to clean up. In Jesus, our righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees, not because of us, Jesus' words here, you know, they, they could be taken as kind of a doom and gloom thing. When we hear Jesus say, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, we could take that as bad news and go, oh man, that'll never happen. Or we could realize that Jesus' words there were actually meant as grace, as grace to show us that it's impossible to please God apart from Jesus. It's Jesus' grace to reveal to us this standard so that I can fall short, so that I can recognize my need, so that I can look to God as the answer. So Jesus' words to us are not doom and gloom. They're not condemning us. Your righteousness needs to exceed the... It's grace. He's holding up the mirror and saying, look at yourselves and see your need. Jesus fulfilled the law. His righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. Amen? Because Jesus fulfilled the law and his righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, he, as God's son, as our promised rescuer, as our savior, can give to us his righteousness. Church family, do you know the spectacular news that when you are in Christ and you come before a holy and mighty and just God and you, he looks upon your life, that, in, that if you are in Christ, he doesn't see the darkness and depth of your sin. He sees, put on you, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Do you know that's what he sees? Jesus fulfilled the law. His righteousness exceeded that of the Pharisees. Because he fulfilled the law, he can give his righteousness to us. Jesus lived the perfect life. Without sin, he fulfilled the demands of the law. He lived the life that we cannot live. He died the death that we deserve. He was raised again to new life, symbolic of the fact that conquering sin and conquering death, and that just like Jesus was raised out of death to new life, those that are in Christ, those who have trusted in Christ, those who submit to Christ, are too raised out of death and into new life. 
Now he lives in us. That's why the New Testament can say it is no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. It's Jesus that's living out his ways in you. It's Jesus that is living out his ways in me as I am enabled and empowered by his spirit. Church family, may may life's pains and God's laws point you, remind you, show you how much you need God and how much you need the grace of Jesus. And when we recognize our need, don't bet on yourself. Put your trust in Jesus. And as you trust in Jesus, may you experience the grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, salvation to eternal life, and transformation into being the people that God wants you to be. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us and for an opportunity to be in your word. God, I pray that as your people, as we desire to live kingdom lives, that we would put ourselves at your feet by putting ourselves in your word every day. That we would hear from you not only on Sundays, but that we would hear from you in our own individual times of study and of prayer. God, I pray for my church family this morning, if there's not if there are those, for those who are in pain this morning. I pray for my church family, for those who are experiencing difficulties, who are enduring deep lows. Father, be the lifter of their head. God, I pray for my church family, any that might be discouraged, exhausted, running out of answers, Father, would you be our joy? Would we recognize that the yoke of Jesus is light, is easy, that you are with us? And Father, if there's any of us, including me, that that need to be convicted of of putting on a, a good religious show, of cleaning up the outside, of maintaining spiritual appearances, but if our hearts are far from you, God, we confess that to you now. God, that way of life goes nowhere for me. So would I turn away from faking it to opening myself to you and your work in my heart? Father, if there's any in, the church, in our church family this morning noticing that we can't match up, we can't meet your standards, Lord, encourage us and inspire us this morning that Jesus does, that he fulfilled the law that he lived the perfect life that we cannot live. And, And may that recognition cause us to submit our lives to him, receiving God's gift of grace, gift of salvation, as we trust in Jesus. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the pivotal moment of history where you, a holy, perfect, just, righteous God, reconciled us sinners to you, where you put us back in relationship to you. We thank you for the cross, that pivotal moment of history where you rescued us from sin and death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Help us to look to Jesus again 
today and again in an hour and again tomorrow for all that we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Next, uh, as we continue in worship, we are going to give our offerings and lift our voices in song. And I just wanted to encourage you that as we give our offering, God is so generous to our church family through the generous giving of you who, who call this church home and who contribute financially. We're thankful for God's provision for us through your generosity. And I wanted you to know that one of the many things that God does through your giving is to care for those around you. There's, there are needs in our church family that come up. There are needs in the Dallas community that come up. And because of your generous giving, one thing that God does through this church family is respond to needs and bless others that are hurting and respond uh, in kindness to, to difficult situations. And so thank you for, for being used by God to care for our community in that way. And after our time of offering, we're going to lift our voices. So let me just leave you with this quick verse from the prophet Isaiah. Sing praises to the Lord, church family. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. In a moment after we give our gifts, when we stand again to lift our voices, church family, do so singing praise because of the Lord having done gloriously.